Lagato and if you aren't new then welcome back Patch Doll. Alright, welcome back my lovely Patch Dolls. Last episode was a look at a few books one can explore this coming year. And I hope that out of that you all got some good recommendations or maybe it was everything that's outside of your comfort zone. So step out of your comfort zone maybe and read some new things or you just like to listen to my voice, which is also a probability. So, hey, welcome to YouTube. (laughs) Okay, so today we'll be doing a review of the book The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Jbocksky. And as it seems, I have made it painfully and abundantly clear that this is one of my favorite books. But before we get into why that is, let's first discuss what the book is about. So I got all of this information or like these words from another review site just by the way in case someone else reads something and they're like wait this sounds exactly like what Lagato said it is it is um yeah I'm gonna be adding my little two cents here and there but mainly in my review of it but the plot usually I just read off of some site because I am lazy to write a summary of my own plots and if the summaries that are provided on the sites are sufficient then why not I mean I'll start writing my own summaries as time goes but honestly mm-mm, not now okay so let's just let's just get straight into it okay so basically throughout the 1991 to 92 school year first of all this is set in america so you know how their school year happens over like two years i just have to clarify that because like our school year starts in jan ends in december like you know a normal school year (laughs) i don't know i just feel like if we had a school year that started in the middle of the year and ended the middle of the following year what what's the point of that like, why not just start at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year? I know I just, like, super, super, like, stumbled on that. But, okay, let me just carry on. Let me just carry on. Right. So, throughout the 1991-92 school year, Charlie, the 15-year-old protagonist, begins writing letters about his own life to an unknown recipient addressed as Dear Friend. In these letters, he discusses his first year at high school and his struggles with two traumatic experiences, the first one being the suicide of his only middle school friend, Michael Dobson, and the second one being the death of his favorite aunt, Helen. Just by the way, I should say a trigger warning is in place. This is a book that's about teenage mental health, like the last book review that I did, which was Cut. Um, but that one is like way more focused on mental health than this one. So it's not going to be nearly as much about mental health as the last review was. But there's going to be mentions of, obviously, suicide, death, oh, and sexual assault. Just a trigger warning. So please continue listening at your own discretion. All right. 
I promise next week we'll do something that doesn't have to do with this so that I'm not like in your face about mental health all the time. But also, I'm a psychology major, so it's kind of what I care most about. So, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. So, Charlie is befriended by two seniors because he's kind of aloof, Patrick and Sam. And Patrick is secretly dating Brad, who's a football player, and Sam is Patrick's stepsister. Charlie quickly develops a consuming crush on Sam and subsequently admits this to her. It is revealed that Sam was sexually abused as a child and she kisses Charlie to ensure that his first kiss is from someone who truly loves him, unlike hers was. And similar to his own experience, Charlie witnesses his sister's boyfriend hit her across the face, but she forbids him from telling their parents. He eventually mentions the occurrence to Bill, who tells Charlie's parents about it. Bill, by the way, is one of Charlie's teachers. He's Charlie's favorite teacher. Charlie's relationship with his sister rapidly deteriorates and she continues to see her boyfriend against her parents' wishes. But eventually, he discovers, Charlie that is, discovers that his sister is pregnant and agrees to bring her to an abortion clinic without telling anyone. But her sister then breaks up with her boyfriend, after which her relationship with Charlie begins to improve significantly. So Charlie is accepted by Sam and Patrick's group of friends and begins experimenting with tobacco, alcohol and other drugs. And on one of the times when they were, you know, together, um, one of their friends, Mary Elizabeth, is impressed with Charlie's, um, you know, social skills and performance at the heart, like the Rocky Horror Show. Oh my days, I should have typed this out. <laughs> Rocky Horror Show. Alright. So, once again, it's just a plot that, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, a plot, a part of a plot that goes on in the book that, like, they're practicing for this thing. So, in one of those shows that they put on, one of the times that they were hanging out, Mary Elizabeth, one of their friends, is then impressed by Charlie's performance. Okay, I hope I put that correctly. And asks Charlie to the Sadie Hawkins dance and they enter into a desultory relationship. Their relationship ends. However, during a game of truth or dare when Charlie is dared to kiss the prettiest girl in the room, he kisses Sam and Marianne, obviously angry, storms out of the room in response. Idiot. Anyway, following this, Patrick suggests that Charlie stay away from Sam for a while and the rest of his friendship group shuns him. But without friends to distract Charlie from his thoughts and struggles, his flashbacks of Aunt Helen return. However, I'm about to say something right now that's going to be a major spoiler. So if you are planning to read the book or haven't read the book or watch the movie, which I'm not really sure how at this point, if this is your genre of things to read, then you should have watched the book. I mean, watched the movie and read the book by now. But anyway... If you haven't watched the movie or read the book, I would suggest starting there first and then coming back here if you're planning on, you know, consuming the content in either way. Okay, spoiler alert in place, let's move on. So Charlie, um, sorry, 
As the school year ends, Charlie is anxious about losing his older friends, especially Sam. So Charlie begins to realize that his sexual contact with Sam has stirred up repressed memories of him being molested by his aunt Helen as a little boy. Charlie shows signs of PTSD from the incidents and the revelation of his abuse helps the reader understand his views of relationship and love. Okay, so a quick rundown from all that I've just said. We've got Charlie, a teenager entering high school for the first time with more baggage than Prince Hakeem had at the airport in that um, 1988 adaptation of Coming to America. Okay, and because of this, so maybe we can say in conjunction with this, he's a loner. So, Charlie gets friends. Charlie falls in love with one of the friends. But alas, these friends also have baggage. Everyone in Charlie's life also has baggage. So together, this creates a messy first year of high school experience for Charlie, which is ultimately what the book is about. Alright, so I had to stop the previous audio abruptly and change scenery. And there's a lot of birds outside. Like, I love nature, but there's so many birds outside. And they're like, the ones that make that annoying sound, like they're going, oh, oh, it, oh. It aggravates me. Okay, let's go. It's fine. Never mind me. Right, so. This book is written in a very unique style. How this says is, you're reading it as if Charlie is writing a letter to an anonymous character, which is actually quite interesting because it's not a letter to you, the reader. It's a letter to someone else, the unknown character, making you sort of like a character in the story as well. And it just makes it for like a more personal kind of like intimate read so let me explain that at some point he explains what happens in what ha- what's happening at school right but he's explaining something as if the person who's reading it doesn't actually know how those things are so i don't have the actual quote right now but let's just say for example i say in like in this letter i say to you hey anonymous one um so you know how on the first day of school, we all go see how, like we all go see what class we're in, you see. We'll go see what class um, we got for the year. So I'm not even sure if that's how it works in every other school or that's how it just worked in my school. But then I would go on to explain that you see how like on the first day of school, we get to school and it's a new grade and now no one knows what class they're in so there's a whole board which is posted outside well at the entrance of the school of every grade and every new class so you get there and then you look at whatever grade that you're supposed to be in now and then look at the different classes and see which class you're in and obviously then see which classes your friends are in and it becomes this whole thing 
right? So I have explained that to you. I've explained that it becomes a whole thing because then you get excited that, hey, I'm in the same class as my friends or whatever. So that's like when you find out, right, that you're in this class. But if I didn't explain that to you, you might have known what I was talking about, but you also might not have known what I was talking about. So, so, from this kind of writing where he's writing to an anonymous character and not necessarily the reader, the anonymous character, and then you become that anonymous character and you immerse yourself in that experience, you personalize that experience, it makes it for a more intimate read, which I absolutely love. Okay, now, um, apparently this idea of anonymous letters came from um, real experience of the authors because the author would write anonymous letters to Stuart Stern about how Rebel Without a Cause had influenced him. And then, well, they met and he became his mentor and things like that. And then this is where this whole style of book idea came to mind of writing anonymous letters but i just wanted to quickly unpack charlie's baggage okay there's so much baggage to unpack with everyone but i'm just going to unpack charlie's baggage and then we can talk about why this is my favorite book okay so first of all charlie's a wallflower right and the way that this is written the way that like um the anonymous letters makes it because once again like i just said he's explaining to you it's not overexposure like it's not too much exposition but then it's just enough to make you immersed in the experience and it's a very casual kind of read is also the other thing so here you are with reading letters from a 15 year old it sounds personal it sounds juvenile and it sounds like He's introverted, which is quite, <clears throat> it's quite a a unique experience. I don't know. I really don't know how to explain this. But like, it sounds like you're his confidant. It actually, so- it doesn't sound like a diary entry, which I think if you watch the movie, wait, was it diary entries or was it letters also? Like, I don't remember. I haven't watched the movie in quite a bit. But when you read the book, it's like he just gets here, he gets home back from his long day of trauma, as it seems. And then he gets home and writes these letters to you. And hey, I'm this like awkward 15 year old starting high school. But then also it's written in such a way that it's not saying, hey, I'm this 15 year old who's awkward starting high school. He's telling you from his point of view, like, hey, this is how the world looks. And that is what I love. You read there, you read the way that he experiences the world. You read the way that he sees everything. So if, even if you think that he's overacting, you can understand why he acts the way that he does from the explanations that he gives because he's telling you this is how it happened. So the only point of view that you have of how the day went was solely with him or solely from him. Um, this comes into play when, for example, there's all these scenes where he's actually in the wrong. It becomes so, I don't know, I want to say cute <laughs> to read because then it's like, oh, look at him. He doesn't think that he's making a mistake, but like what? What kind of dumb move is that? Like when he went and kissed Sam instead of Mary Elizabeth. 
Let me refresh your memory. So, Mary Elizabeth, one of his friends. Sam, one of his friends. Him and Mary Elizabeth ended up in a relationship which he didn't actually want to be in. And then they broke up, chilled. And next thing you know, when they're playing a game of truth or dare, they say, hey, kiss the most beautiful girl in the room. And this idiot goes and kisses Sam. And the thing is, Nam, you're there reading this and you're like, I mean, like, I understand why he kissed Sam. Because he's in love with Sam. From when you read the book, you'll be like, oh, mate, he's a, he's a simp. He's a gun boy. He is absolutely in love with Sam, right? It's almost like he's got an obsession. It's an over-consuming, like an all-consuming crush. It's kind of weird, actually, but... It's sort of like rational, like, yes, okay, all my days. Okay, yes, listen, this is the perfect, perfect explanation for what I mean. When you watch the show series on Netflix called You, it's basically the series or show about, um, I would call Joe a serial killer because honestly, what? But he's he's an obsessive stalker, basically. Um, and he gets his girlfriend and, well kills everyone along the way to be able to keep his girlfriend but the thing that's interesting about that show is it's put in such a way where it's like you're rooting for him because you understand things from his perspective for once right so that is exactly how this book then is put that you are so immersed in charlie's experience you see the world from the way that he sees the world. He's just got these naive eyes and he's looking from the point of being a wallflower, from someone who's always had issues with socially integrating with people and from someone who carries so much trauma, so much happens in the day, so much stimulation for him, so much for him to process and he comes home and he writes this down and explains it to you how he feels it. So therefore, you're sitting there like, Oh no, they shouldn't like kick him out of the friendship group because like they can understand. Oh come on, he's in love with Sam. But realistically, if that happened to you and your group of friends, you'd also be like, eh, my guy, nah, nah, leave. What are you doing? What are you doing? Who does that? You see. So that's what I love about this book. That's that's just a main thing. Okay, now let's get to one of like the first tragedy. So this thing, this book opens with. Charlie entering high school with the death, the recent suicide of his um, middle school best friend, right? Well, his only middle school friend, Michael Dobson. But the issue here, not the issue. Well, yes, the issue is, please understand, he's introverted. He's a loner. He's like a stereotypical, awkward lonely shadow okay he's literally that everything and more you can imagine and he had one friend and the one friend he has dies by suicide what i would also be messed up so now he has to enter into high school already with odds stacked against him because his social life is in shambles and like his, his social what can i call them skills yes his social skills are also in shambles The man is all over the place. So, he's all over the place. And now, boom. His one and only friend has just died. 
by suicide, that's obviously going to mess him up. He goes into the school and then he's befriended by older people. So it's people who um in their final year of high school because then as you read you get to see that at the end of the book they leave whatever whatever so the end of the book is quite um i don't want to say it's a happy ending it's not but it's an okay ending where like he stops writing the letters because then he becomes okay enough to cope with his days without writing these letters but the thing that i was most intrigued by was this choice of making his first group of friends be people who are going to leave him at the end of the school year. So now I'm interested in the epilogue. What happens then after? Does he then, can he now find friends his own age? Because then it's important, especially in high school, especially for people still growing at that age, to have friends who are their own age. Because then they're going through similar things together, right? So... Now having friends who are so far removed from you. Because I can't imagine. I'm in varsity right now. And I can't imagine myself befriending and best friending someone who's still in high school. Only because I feel like I've got a whole lot more um, knowledge just from like campus life, right? Than they do. And we're not going to be having conversations on a similar level. Same as how people who are older than me and are now in the marketplace, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to be best friends with them. Just because, especially in these growing stages, there's so much that happens in the space that you predominantly find yourself in that you need to have someone who's round about the same age who you're going to be able to lean on and explore those you know, feelings or, like, new experiences or tragedies or happinesses or excitement or whatever with. You need someone who's your age, right? But they don't actually explore this, and I don't think there's a sequel to this, so I'm just going to leave that there. But I just think that it's something to think about. Like, why is it set up that he gets all these friends who are now leaving Right? And you see him struggle. Yes, you do see him struggle towards the end when they're leaving. But then, okay, he adjusts, he adjusts and everything. But my thing that I just want to know is, what happens then after he adjusts? Right? What, what then? What Does he then make other friends? Does he then learn to live with his trauma? Does he then learn to express himself more? Does he learn more social skills? Or does he learn to navigate the social world with the current skill level that he has? You know, like, ah, the questions. Okay, anyway. um, The second most big tragedy that happens to um, Charlie is that we realize that he's in love, in love with Aunt Helen, right? That's just his favorite aunt. Aunt Helen was everything and more. And Aunt Helen died from a car accident when she was on her way to buying him a birthday gift. So then he's always felt this guilt, this over-consuming sadness that like, I'm the reason my favorite person on earth died. So now you can imagine, he's here at 15, entering high school, like I said, a ghost of a man. And he says, well, my one and only friend, someone I was supposed to be supportive of, someone I was supposed to be, you know, with all the time, you know, my blood, he just committed suicide. 
And then you, on top of that, this is now on top of that, you have to live with the fact that you're thinking that your favorite person in the world was killed running errands for you. So it's like you just feel this over-consuming guilt. You, you can't express love appropriately, which I actually, actually appreciate about this because you can see all of his relationships are messed up. They don't explicitly say this in the book, but that's what I just like picked up from the book. That like all his relationships, everything on his sides, it's messed up. Right, And I'm not saying it's messed up because of the people who passed away, but because of that level of guilt, right? That level of sadness, that level of over-consuming depression that can have you at such a young age also, when you're at such, such a sensitive and vulnerable part of your growth. 15 and like 14-year-olds and 13-year-olds, that's just like the worst time of your life. Honestly, I remember being 14 and 15 and 16 and like the ghetto child. Anyway, <laughs> so like those are really difficult years of your life and especially in retrospect, but those are really difficult years of your life. You're finding yourself, your body is morphing into whatever is going on. Your face is going on its own tangent, your body is going on its own tangent, your mind is going on its own tangent and it seems like everyone else around you just doesn't understand. Oh my gosh, no one understands me, right? And then on top of all of this, people die and it feels like your own fault obviously he's going to have weird parasocial relationships he's got a very severed relationship with his sister he notices or witnesses his sister being abused the only reason that the parents find out about this is because like i said earlier he then tells uh bill who is one of his teachers and bill lets the parents know as he's supposed to and then, obviously, then this damages the relationship with the system. But if, but then if you think about it, he's always had, you know, these issues. He's always just been aloof and everything. And the sister's always had to be there for him. And, you know, just... They've had to navigate this sibling relationship on already a rocky ground, right? With someone who already clearly suffers from mental health issues but then has so much more piled onto him. His relationship with his parents, his relationship with his friends, he gets so, ah, there's a fight scene where he fights for one of his friends. I don't know if I should say who, because I'm not sure if that's going to be a spoiler, but there's a fight scene where he fights for one of his friends, and in the movie they did it so beautifully. And the whole thing that, like, please read the book, please read the book, so you can know what scene I'm talking about. But... The whole reason that that scene like, just talks to me so much is because naturally no one would want to put themselves in such a dangerous situation and immerse themselves so hard in such a dangerous situation if it doesn't involve them, right? But then he's got such like a, a weird social relationship. Like it's, it's a weird interpersonal relationship with his friends because the people that are in his life and do love him and aren't seemingly going away he's he's hanging on to them like quite a lot sam so i was saying he's in love with sam he doesn't just have a crush on sam he wants he wants sam all to himself he gets jealous of other people being with sam but then it's like once again because of the way it's written you understand why right 
it makes sense. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, no. I mean, like, Sam needs to spend time with him. I mean, how dare Sam not spend time with him? Uh, but then at the same time, it's like, you have to realize that this is from, like, years of just, fa- like, trauma, sadness, and the whole thing where he realizes that he had repressed memories of his aunt, Aunt Helen, um, molesting him when he was younger. You can imagine now, this is the one person who you thought was your most, oh my, my goodness, like, your whole world, your entire world revolved around this person. And then you realize that this person did this to you. So then you start to question yourself, like, hey, 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 mate, what's wrong with you, right? But then, like, in the book, in the book, let me not go in too hard and, like, wait, no. What I'm trying to say is, let me not make this seem like this is what happens in the book. In the book, he works through this with a psychologist and everything, and the plot is showing forward. But I'm just saying, can you imagine finding out that your favorite person is the person who did this to you, the person who actually hurt you the most, the person who you could say is actually responsible for you being so aloof, so withdrawn, so closed off. Your brain literally had to shut down those memories for your life to still make sense. You have, you've been living your life obsessing over people and not understanding why. And then suddenly, you know, the facade is shattered and boom, you just see the world for how it truly is just one day randomly. That's too much for anyone to handle. That's way too much. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so when you read this book, you read about Charlie and Charlie's struggles with everyone. But then you also read about everyone else's struggles, but from Charlie's point of view, which I absolutely love. Because you learn just enough about people, but not too much. Because at the end of the day, Charlie is writing these letters to be able to get through his day, right? He is the one who needs to get all of these things off his chest. So when I have to get all the things off my chest of what happened, I'm going to be concerned about mostly what happened to me and then say, oh yeah, by the way, this and this and this happened to someone else and this and this happened to someone else, which I think this is why she's acting like this. Hmm, actually I might have to look into that. You see how conversational and intimate and just personal that feels. Like it feels like you're talking to a friend. It feels like you as the reader are invested in helping him even though the rest of the pages are already set, right? They're already set. You are merely consuming the literature, but it feels like you are there listening, actively listening to what he's saying, as if you're about to offer advice at the end, right? It's just, oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. It's chef's kiss, okay? Um, <clears throat> sorry. So, what we basically realize like towards the end of the book then it's like okay he i mean after finding out that like all these things have happened and like it's too much for him to handle he ends up going to a mental ward like a psych ward and gets treated whatever whatever and then he ends up like living his life you know like a sort of happy ending but not like and they lived happily ever after just a an okay ending i don't know whatever <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying that this book covers mental health or ill health in a beautiful way where it's like you're seeing it from the cat like the teenager's point of view 
but it's just so intimate it's so intricate it's such a short book but it's such an intricate and like in-depth book at the same time you you understand everything going through charlie's mind right and then you compare this to the previous book which now actually made me publish this one cut by patricia mccormick where it's like in the span of like 150 pages we're here covering abuse substance abuse sorry um self-harm eating disorders this 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 there's 25 main characters there's 25 main storylines once again in like 150 book um, 150 pages and then our protagonist doesn't speak for most of the time like that's not a way to get into the the head or like the intimate just nature of someone's mentals right you need to really get in there if, if you're going to write a book about mental health or ill health or just someone's psyche or just someone's um psychological composition i don't know what i'm saying but like the way a person rationalizes things and looks at life right if you're going to do a book on that i feel like this was the best way to do it where it's like oh okay this is what they're thinking and i'll put it exactly how they're thinking it it sounds like it's from an adolescent it doesn't sound i mean obviously it's it's still a book that's published and everything so it's not um written with like spelling errors or whatever but it's i don't know it just sounds it sounds conversational it sounds believable that this is some like letters someone is writing to you and this certain someone is 15 years old and is like an aloof person i just oh i feel like i've been i've been i have been repeating myself (laughs) this is getting ridiculous as you can tell i'm in love with this book i'm in love with the movie i was initially planning on doing a comparison of like the book and the movie but this one of those movies where i feel like they adapted just enough um like just well enough that it's exactly the same as the book or it's like a similar experience so reading the book and watching the movie it's like that other one oh modern age Romeo and Juliet what is it called um the two kids dying from cancer guys oh my days oh yes the fault in our stars so when you read the fault in our stars and you watch the fault in our stars there are differences yes but not that much like not that much it's it's like equally nice to read and to watch so it's just like an actual adaptation not even like a spin-off or interpretation it's just an adaptation so i'm not actually going to be doing a side-by-side comparison of those two but i will be ending this now we'll be back again next week with another book I won't tell you which book now because I have to actually read it and like finish and then see if I can get my review in on time for that. But we'll be back again next week with another episode. But for now, Patch Dolls, please, oh my goodness, especially my Patch Dolls in South Africa, we don't want another hard lockdown, okay? Like the infections are on another level right now so stay safe please patch dolls stay safe stay home if you can don't associate with people because what are people anyway ew ew (laughs) okay so stay home
stay safe, drink some water, okay, keep hydrated, and read a book or two, and I will see you in the next one. Bye.